So we're in Sermon 4, and we got one more to go. Next week, we'll talk about prayer as a part of the armor that we use to battle. But today, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the Word of God. And I'm going to give you some basic facts about the Word of God today. I'm going to give you some basic truths. Most of you who are sitting here already know the things that I'm going to say today. But, you know, that's what preaching is, and that's what teaching is. It stirs up. Stuff that we hadn't thought about in a while. Stuff that we've kind of allowed to settle to the bottom. It stirs it back up in us so we can look at that and remember it and be encouraged by it. So we're going to do that today. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. And we actually are going to go all the way through uh, verse 17 or 18 uh, as a text, but we'll only read through verse 13 today. The scriptures are not going to come up on the screen today for the text because we've already done that so many times. So just write this down. If this is your first Sunday, just write this down. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 6 through 18, okay? And then read that in detail. Follow along in your Bible today, whether it's on a tablet or a phone or you've got your old school Bible with you, follow along with me. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, and here's what Paul says. You know, the word finally, uh, verse 10, he says, finally. So that means he's saying in closing. <laughs> now, when Paul says in closing, he doesn't mean it either because he goes on and on and on after he says that, just like me. So when I say in closing today and then I go on and on and on, I'm just trying to be more like Paul. <laughs> Amen. Played the spiritual card on y'all right there. But Paul has been talking about relationships. I'm telling you, Ephesians chapter 6 is a great book to study. If you want to begin a Bible study, Ephesians is a great book uh, to study. All six chapters. It's really a short book, but it's packed with a lot of truth. He's giving instruction in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. As a matter of, cha matter of fact, chapter 5 talks about marriage. It talks about relationships. It talks about the power of the Holy Spirit to make us able to do the things that God has commanded us to do. And just reminding you of some basic messages and basic themes that have been coming up in this series. Look what he says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and just reminding you that if you couldn't be strong in the Lord, he wouldn't tell you to be strong in the Lord. You can be, I can be, anyone who wants to be can be strong in the Lord. It's up to you. It is not God's fault if you're not strong in the Lord today. So I want you to take that challenge from Paul. Finally, Pharaoh, finally, Bridge, be strong. You can be. God's going to make you strong, but you've got to want that. There's an old uh, saying we have, and you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can make all the things available to make people strong in the Lord, but you ultimately have to choose that. You have to seize it. You have to go after it. Let me just say it this way. You never drift into spiritual maturity. You never drift into it. If you become spiritually mature, if you become strong in the Lord, it'll be because you went after it. It'll be because you pursued that for your life. Because when you drift, you always drift in the wrong direction. You'll never drift into heaven. You'll never drift into a person of prayer. You'll never drift into a knowledge of the Word of God. These things have to be done how? Intentionally intentionally. This is what I tell you guys all the time, and you know, the flow of this world, if, the, if this world was a river, the flow of this world is not going toward God. It's going away from God. So if you're going to go toward God in this world, you got to paddle, baby. You got to paddle and paddle hard. And uh, the scripture talks about that in Ephesians. So I want to just encourage you, those of you who are, you know, wanting to get into a Bible study, if you've never gotten into a Bible study before, I would get into the book of John probably first. That's a good book to get you foundational into what Jesus said and what Jesus taught. And then when it comes to behavior, 
I mean, going to Ephesians chapter 6, how do I live this life? How do I live victoriously as a Christian? Ephesians 6 is just, I mean, Ephesians, the whole book, is just a beautiful book for that, okay? And we'll help you. We'll help you with that. Um, we've got a class here led by Mike Moss called Navigators, and Mike really goes into the depths of Scripture. So if any of you are interested in that, all you got to do is use that email address that we had up here before, info at breachchurch.cc, and go, I'd like to get in Navigators or find out what Navigators is. If you want to go deeper, we got a deep end of the pool. We'll put you in it, okay? But if you're going to be, if you're going to be a strong Christian, and he says right here, be strong that's your choice. That's your decision, and we will help you as much as we can. But ultimately, you got to set yourself to grow. you got to make up your mind. Reminds me of the book of Daniel when they tried to get him to eat meat offered to idols. The Bible says in the King James that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not. And you have to make up your mind. You have to purpose in your heart that you're going to be a mature Christian. Now, none of the things that I just said are in my notes, but I've got good news. I'm not going to charge you any extra for that. No, that's all that's free. Man, we're so generous around here. All right, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And then he tells us how you do it, and in the strength of his might. The Old Testament prophet said, Lord, not by my might, not by my power, but by your what? Spirit, says the Lord. Verse 11 Put on the full armor of God, and then he tells us why. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And you might be sitting out there, maybe you're new to God, church, Bible, Jesus, all that stuff, and you're like, really, you guys believe in the Bible? Yeah, I, yeah we believe in the Bible. And, but you might be asking, do you believe in the devil, really? Yes, we do. We believe in the devil because the scriptures are clear about his existence. He's a decided fact. He exists. He's a destructive force. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But hallelujah, he is a defeated foe because of the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb. So the Bible says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, time out. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people as much as you may think it is. You might say, man, I fuss with people all the way to church today. i got kids. I understand, but they are not your enemy. Your struggle is not with them. And plus, we give you people that you can give them to before you come in here. Uh, verse 12, isn't Sunday morning something? i got to tell you, man, it's like no other morning of the week. You know what? All during the week. I get up about 7 o'clock in the morning. I know a lot of y'all get up a lot earlier than that. I get up about 7 o'clock in the morning all during the week, and I'm ready to go. Sunday morning, I believe I can sleep to lunch. Who's with me? Why is that? This morning, I had to make myself get up. But then I thought about how awesome this sermon is, and I was going to really enjoy hearing it, so I got on up. But, <laughs> hey, if it ain't blessing me, I'm pretty sure it ain't blessing you. But Sunday's like no other day. The kids can be normal every what day of the week, but Sunday, man, they're little hellions, aren't they? Is that a, that's a Greek for mean. Honestly. And you're like, it's, a, it's an attack of the devil. It's like an old lady in a church my dad used to pastor. Every time something bad happened, she would go. She couldn't talk clear. She said, it's that old devil. It's that old devil again. So when y'all see that happening around your house, just say that to the kids and they'll go, who? Who is that? All right, verse 12. I hadn't even started preaching yet. Don't count this time against me. <clears throat> For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And listen to this, in heavenly places. That means our battle is in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm. We battle spiritually. Therefore, put on, the, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Now, um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to go through this really quickly. In verse 14, he talks about the belt of truth that speaks of the integrity of the soldier. In verse 14, he speaks about the breastplate of righteousness. It speaks of the purity of the soldier. 
Uh, and, and these, I'm just giving you like one word descriptions. I would encourage you, if you didn't get to hear these messages, you can go to our website, bridgechurch.cc, and you can listen to all these messages if you didn't get them. And then uh, Pastor Jim was here, and he talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. And he explains in that, in that sermon very clearly what that is as a piece of armor. He also talked about the shield of faith, talking about our confidence and awareness of who we are in Christ. Then last week we talked about the helmet of salvation and uh, really was not kind of what we expected maybe what that meant. Because when you go to 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he talks about the hope of salvation. So we knew he was talking about us as soldiers battling today if we can get a vision of heaven and what it's going to be like and where we're eventually going. That's a big motivator when you're in the struggle down here. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you know where you're going and you're in a dark time down here, it keeps you motivated because you know, hey, baby, this ain't all there is. As a matter of fact, when I get there and I've been there a thousand years, I've only just begun. So I'm going to heaven one day. So it makes you it keeps morale up in the battle down here in this world of darkness when you know where you're going. Man, that was a good sermon. I enjoyed hearing myself preach that. So this brings us to, <laughs> I know some of you are out there thinking, boy, I hope you don't enjoy this one so much. This brings us to the spiritual weapon listed in verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. The sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? Is it, it is what? The Word of God. And then next week, prayer. Of all the weapons that we could talk about in this series, this is probably the one with which you are most familiar, the sword. If I were to talk to you, if before this sermon series, I would have said, when you think about spiritual warfare, what is the first weapon you think of? You probably would have said the sword, God's Word. And I remember in vacation Bible school when I was a little boy, we sung songs about the Bible being the sword, you know. And I remember we would make the little swords and, uh, you know, but they, the, the blade would have the Word of God written on it. So, you know, I've had that put in me since I was little, and that's what we're doing with the kids now, getting that Word in them right now. Because the older you get, listen, if you've not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, we hope you'll do it today. The older you get, the harder it's going to be. So that's why we want to reach the children for Christ as early as we can. So if you're sitting here and you've just never made that decision for Christ, I'm just telling you, statistics prove that the older a person gets, the more difficult it is for them to surrender their life to Jesus. So guess what? If you've been thinking about that, today's the day. Today's the day. So I hope today you'll come to Christ. Let's look at some uh, basic um, things about the Bible, teaching some basic facts about the Bible. Let me just give you uh, just a few things here, and these are very simple, but I want to nail them down today. The Bible is the Word of God. You say, okay, I think we knew that. You'd be surprised at the people who don't know that. The people who think the Bible is a history book with some little guidelines in it for life. I saw a billboard one time, and I know they meant well, but they had a picture of a Bible up there, and it said, uh, the guidelines for living, you know, happy. Well, it's more than guidelines. It's more than suggestions. The Word of God, it is God speaking. It is a love letter from God to us. The Word of God, it is infallible. And it is an errant. Let's talk about those three things. It's the word of God. The text says it here. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And for our attendees who are here today and you're new to church, you're new to God and the Bible and all that. Maybe you were in church when you were little, but you're, you've been out for a long time and you're not really familiar with all the words. You know, we speak Christianese sometimes as Christians and we kind of leave out people who are trying to find out who God is. So when I use the word scripture, and I use the word Bible, or I use the word, uh, the phrase word of God, all of those things are the same. And so it is the word of God. When you read the Bible, you are reading words God spoke through men. And so the word of God is not only the word of God, but because it is the word of God, it is infallible. Now there are scripture references here that you can write down. I'm not going to read them all because it would just take too long. Here's what I mean by infallible. 
The word infallible means that you can trust everything the Bible teaches. Everything the Bible teaches, you can fully trust it. The Bible will never lie to you. The Bible will never exaggerate. And I don't care what people say who want to destroy the truth of God's Word. Nowhere does it contradict itself. Nowhere. The Word of God is perfect in every way. It is infallible. And that brings us to another word that is very, very close to this word, but it's a little bit different. As a matter of fact, when I use the word perfect, that really deals with this word even more, and that is the word inerrant. The Word of God is infallible. That means that all that it teaches is true. It is also inerrant. That means that every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. And so... Uh, these are things that we need to know about Scripture, and you see it there, the Scripture references. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Your word, O God, is truth. It is truth. The next thing I want you to notice is that the word of God is complete, and this is very important. It's very important. In Revelation 22, it says you cannot add to the word of God. You cannot take away from the word of God. It is complete. It is comprehensive. I had a lady, um, uh, you know, we live in a time when, when uh, different fads go through the church. And uh, there was this fad going through the church, and it's still out there a little bit, but it's not nearly what it used to be. And every time somebody would say, I'm, I feel like this is a word from God I want to share, she'd write that down in the blank pages in the back of her Bible. She thought that's what it was for, because God was still saying new stuff that he hadn't already said in the written word. See, that's not right. Anytime, anytime I preach to you or speak to you, it has to line up with the Word of God. I can't say the Word of God says this, and I want to just add this thought to that. Now, I can go back and go, I think what that is saying to us today is this, but I can't add to the Word of God, and I can't subtract from the Word of God. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is true, it is infallible, it is inerrant, and it is complete. Jude said, once for all, talking about the Word of God, once for all delivered to the saints. Listen to this. The Bible is one book. If somebody comes to your door, knocking on your door, and they've got a Bible in one hand, and then they've got this other Bible in the other hand, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, don't let them in your house. And the Bible says you are not to wish them Godspeed because there's one book, there is one revelation, there is one word of God delivered once and for all. Jude said it, the scripture said it. There is no further divine revelation beyond scripture. And the bridge said, not only is the word of God uh, the Word of God, not only is it in, infallible, not only is it inerrant, not only is it complete, it's enough. It is sufficient. Here's what that means. It means you really don't need anything else. Now, I've got a bunch of other books in my library, and I've got videos that I look at, and I've got DVD sets, and I've got all these things that are supplements that tell me and help me understand and teach me what the Word of God says, but I don't really need anything else other than the Word of God. If I was on an island all by myself, all I'd want is Millie and a Bible. I mean, if I could only have two things, I'd want Millie and a Bible. I don't think she would want me, but I would want her to be there. You know what I'm saying? The Word of God is enough. Now, let me give you a scripture here, and you need to read this chapter in your Bible. Don't read it while I'm preaching now, but you need to read it when you get home. It's really an amazing thing. Psalm 19, Psalm 19 thoroughly lays out the fact that the Word of God is, is sufficient. And there are many other scriptures that talk about the sufficiency of scripture, but Psalm 19 is just a really good book for you to mark down. Another chapter in your Bible that is all about the Bible itself is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is what? Do y'all know what Psalm 119 is? Longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is about the Bible. I think that's interesting. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. So Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 are just good 
uh, when you're doubting or when you're, you know, we all go through seasons of doubt and all of that. You know, when you're doubting, when you're going through a hard time, you don't feel like God's there. Maybe the promises of God aren't coming true for you and you don't know what's going on. So you begin to doubt. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to Psalm 19. Read it. Go back to Psalm 119. Read it. And God will rejuvenate your faith. He will substantiate your faith. He will lift up your faith level. How many of you go through seasons of doubt? I mean, I'm the pastor of the church. I go through seasons of doubt. And when I go through doubt, I go to the Word. Because it's God's word, and when I begin to read it, my faith rises. And often what we do is we actually base our faith on circumstances. I know I do sometimes, and uh, the, that's why we need to always be in the word of God. The next thing, well, let me, let me just mention 2 Timothy 3, talking about the word of God being sufficient. Let me just read a couple things. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, he said, you know, Timothy, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And he said, uh, and these scriptures that you've known from a child, he said, they're able to make you wise. And not just wise, but wise unto salvation. In other words, the scriptures make you realize that you're lost and you need a savior. And so the scriptures will make you wise even unto salvation. And that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, on another place, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That means mature, thoroughly furnished. So when you know the word of God, you're mature. You're thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So out of our knowledge of the scripture, what ought to flow out of our knowledge of scripture is goodness. Good works. <laughs> I just got to be honest. Y'all know me. I'm going to be honest. I've known some people who know a lot about the Bible, and they're pretty mean. They're pretty mean. And uh, that is, you know what? You can know the Bible and not know the God of the Bible and not have a relationship with the author of the book. And so the Bible says when you, when you have a right relationship with the author of the book and then you have a right relationship with the book, what's going to flow out of you is goodness. Goodness. It's good preaching right there. The next one is uh, the Bible is effective or the Bible is powerful. And you already knew this, but let me just stir it up in you. This means that the Word of God is not only sufficient for us, but the Word of, of God is sufficient through us as we minister to others. So the word of God is sufficient for me, but the word of God is sufficient through me. Through me. Listen very carefully. This goes for everybody in the building. There is nobody here that God just wants to put the word in you. God wants to put his word in you that it might flow through you. When you feed the hungry, you are doing the word of God. When you love on the unlovable, you are doing the word of God. When you get out of your car on Sunday morning in the parking lot, it's not all about you. You scan the horizon to see if anybody needs a greeting, if somebody needs help getting some kids out of the car. Maybe there's a young lady and her husband's been deployed and she's trying to get the stroller out and the kids. Listen, you're always scanning. You're always looking. When the Word of God dominates your life, it flows through your life so that you might be a blessing to others. Now, that's very, very practical right there. And one of the things people complain about in the churches they go to is they go, I don't get anything out of the message because I don't know how this works out in my life. I'm telling you right now, all through the day at work, at school, all through the day, when you go out to eat, when you're on vacation, you are an ambassador of Christ. And you are always scanning, always looking, who can I say hello to? Who can I smile at? Who could I hold the door? I want the ways of Jesus and the ways of the Word to work through my life. I want the Word of God that is in my hand to be worked out in my hands. The Word of God that is in my head, let it be worked out in my hands. Let it, be, let it be spoken in my mouth. Now, you can't go around saying, yay unto thee, I say. You can't do that. People will call the paddy wagon. I don't even, man, that's old school right there, ain't it? <laughs> anyway, people will think you're crazy. They'll think you're nuts. So you don't, you're, I'm, I'm not saying you go around quoting scripture. I'm saying you go around speaking 
encouraging, speaking life. That's why we, our vision statement here at the church is giving life. Because when you talk and when you act with these hands and where you go with these feet and what you do with your body, it is, it is either life-giving or it's taking life away. And if you're saturated in the Word and you're walking in Jesus, you're going to be life-giving. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so it's powerful. And here's what Isaiah said. Let's look at the Old Testament a little bit. Isaiah said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but will accomplish what I please. That's Isaiah 5.11. I'm sorry, 55.11. And here's what that means. That means when I share the Word of God, when I teach the Word of God, when I proclaim the Word of God, when I live out the Word of God, when I sing the Word of God, it has an impact. And here's a hard thing for me. I'm a person who I want some immediate, I want some immediate results. I want to know that what I'm doing is making a difference. But let me tell you something. God didn't promise you that. I mean, I love the fall. One of the reasons I love the fall is when I was a little boy, we'd rake leaves. And when you rake leaves, you could tell you'd rake some leaves. Do y'all like a job like that? Like when you do work, you'll see immediate, man, I see what I'm doing. I see the difference I'm making. Can I tell you something? The Christian life isn't always like that. The Christian life isn't always like that. You serve and serve and you're a blessing and you speak life and you speak love. And sometimes you don't get immediate feedback. You don't even know if it's having an effect. Listen what the Bible says. He says, when my word goes out, it has an impact. You don't worry about it. God goes, I'm going to take care of that. You know what I think is going to happen when we get to heaven? I think you're going to have people come up to you in heaven and go, you know, I didn't react very much down there when you spoke that encouragement to me or that love or when you served me when I was going through a really tough time or you put your arm around me or you spoke to me or whatever. But I think when we get to heaven, I think people are going to come up and say, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of you. I'm here because you encouraged me. I know I didn't give you any feedback when you did it, and you probably felt like that I was resistant to it. What I want to tell you, it found a place in my heart, and I'm here because of you. I want to hear that when I get to heaven, don't you? Matter of fact, I got some people, not only do I want to hear it, I want to say it to some people. Because there's some people in my early life as a Christian that had a tremendous impact on me, and I didn't know how to express it. But boy, when I get to heaven, if, if that's something God will let us do in heaven, I want to do that. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. It is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. There's no other book in existence that can claim to be infallible, inerrant, complete, sufficient and powerful. There's no other book that can claim to be the Word of God but the Bible. These qualities are only true of Scripture. And that is why the Word of God, as Paul told us in Ephesians 6, 17, is such a formidable weapon, such an awesome weapon. It is the Word of God. A few more things about the Bible. The Bible is the source of some things. It is the source of a blessed life. Who wants to be blessed in here? You want to be blessed? God's looking at those who ain't raising their hand. Who wants to be? <laughs> you want to be blessed? God's all right. You know? So you want to be blessed? You got to get in the Word. You, look, you can't be blessed if you don't get in the Word. Let me tell you what the Bible says about that. It says, happy is the man who hears me. This God talking in Proverbs 8.34. Happy is the man who hears me. Luke 11.28, happy are they, blessed are they who hear the Word of God and obey it. Cleopas and Luke, y'all know that story in the Bible? We all know Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. And he wrote what other book? Acts, the book of Acts. So Luke wrote those two books in the Bible. Luke and Cleopas, after Jesus died on the cross and before they knew he'd risen from the dead, they're walking on a road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden this stranger comes up. They didn't recognize him. Evidently Jesus uh, looked different after the resurrection. Uh, there was something about him that was different. They didn't recognize him. And so he's walking with them along the road, and here's what Jesus does. They don't even know it's Jesus. He starts explaining how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. He starts explaining the scriptures of the Old Testament. Now, when all that was over and Jesus was out of their presence, and then they kind of, kind of realized, I, you know, I think that was Jesus. Here's what they said to each other. Did not our hearts burn within us when he shared with us 
the scripture. When I looked at that word burned, it meant burned with joy, burned with excitement, burned with motivation and fire. Did not our hearts burn within us? If you want to be blessed, you need to receive the word of God. You need to study the word of God. You say, well, I want to grow spiritually. All right? If you want to grow spiritually, you've got to get into the scriptures. These are verses that say that, that teach that. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, As babes, we ought to desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. I'm going to preach right here just a little bit. A couple, couple of points I want to make. If you're not hungry for the word of God, you need to begin to pray for that because that is a, that is a sign of a weakness spiritually. If you're intimate with God, you're going to love his word. Let me say that again because y'all didn't hear what I just said. If you are intimate with God, you're going to love his word. Now, here's what I see in a lot of Christians. Can I say this? I see Christians who are looking for a shortcut to spiritual maturity. They're looking for a shortcut. One of the things that people do today to shortcut their way to spiritual maturity, and it doesn't work, it never works, is that we are living in a time when, when people want to have a certain experience, a certain experience. If I can go to the altar and have a certain experience, I'm going to be spiritually mature. Well, look, I'm not against experiences. I've had some incredible, awesome experiences with God in my lifetime, uh, being saved, uh, the sanctification work in my life, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there have been times when I've prayed, and you know, I could just tell you stories of the presence of God in prayer time. I could tell you the story of the presence of God in group prayer. I could tell you the story of healings that I've seen and miracles that I've seen. But I'm going to tell you this. Those times are not very often, and I'm going to tell you why. A lot of times preachers say, well, the reason that didn't happen is because we don't believe, and if you believed, you'd see miracles. You know what? I just think God does miracles from time to time. But God doesn't want you to serve him because he gives you a miracle a day. He wants you to serve him because you love him. So the spiritually mature person isn't always looking for a sign. They're not always looking for an experience. They're not always looking for a miracle. They just love God because they love God. And there are people today who will say, you need to have this experience, and if you have this experience, it's going to catapult you from way down here spiritually to way up here spiritually. Let me tell you something. No, it's not. No, it's not. I know people who have had experiences, and they're just as carnal as they were before the experience. Let me tell you something. The Word of God makes you strong. The Word of God makes you mature. I love what one guy said, and I was going to save this for later, but I think I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there now if I can find it. I don't think I can find it. Yeah, obtaining spiritual maturity is 95% perspiration and 5% inspiration. Being spiritually mature, becoming spiritually mature, listen to me, is 95% perspiration. It's work. Get in the Word of God. Develop your daily disciplines. It's work, it's labor. We talked about Paul's words last year, last week. Endurance, doing what needs to be done. Getting up every morning going, I don't feel spiritual today. I don't feel like being spiritual. I don't want to be spiritual. You think, well, you're the pastor. You're always spiritual. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Talk to Millie. She'll tell you. I'm not always spiritual. I don't always get up wanting to get in the Word of God. But I know I need to. I know I need to. And here's what happens to me. I'm telling you almost 100% of the time. When I feel really, really, really down or not spiritual or just, you know, I'm like, man, I just don't want to hear a praise song right now. I just don't want to read a Bible verse. I just don't want to do anything about that. I just don't feel it. Then I know that's when I need to do it. And I will go in my office sometimes and I will sit down. And I would just say, I'm going to read this chapter right here. I'm going to read these favorite verses of mine. And I'm telling you guys, it's like hitting a switch. It's like hitting a switch in me. And all of a sudden, I just have a hunger. I just have a desire. And, and God just clicks that in me. And we have to break through those times when we don't 
feel spiritual and go ahead and read our word or just say, God, today, you know what's going on with me. You know what's going on with me physically. You know what's going on with me. You know, sometimes our chemicals are just out of whack and we don't feel the same one day that we feel another day. So we come to God and we go, God, I need your strength today because I feel like you're a million miles away. I feel like you, I, I pray and I feel like you don't hear me, but I know you do. And see, the way you know he hears you and the way you know he's with you when you don't feel spiritual because you know the word and you know the promises that are in the Bible. You know, God didn't go, I'm going to give you a tingle in your spirit every day. I'm going to give you this spiritual massage every morning. I'm going to make you just feel like your feet are off the ground every day. Because if he did that, you'd look for it every day. And then when it didn't come, you wouldn't feel like a Christian. God doesn't work that way. He's not into tricks. He's into faith. Faith. Trusting his word. Y'all with me out there? Spiritual growth. There's no shortcuts to it. It's work. And then the next thing I want you to notice is that it is a guide for your life. The word of God is a guide. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, and many, many other scriptures. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, you know this verse. The word of God is a what to my feet? A lamp. It is a what to my path? A light. The Word of God shows you the way. If you're here today and you're, you're lost in a decision, you don't know what to do, will you please do something for me? Go to the Word of God. You say, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, just go to Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Just go there and just say, Lord, as I'm reading this, just speak to me a personal word about my situation. And God might not do it right off the bat because he wants you to keep reading. So just read the Word of God. Do Bible study. Get in a life group. Get in a life group. And, and, and we talked about life groups. I think in the video announcements today, there was uh, information about how to get in a life group because you need to do life with other people. Because here's the deal when you do life with other people. When you drift, they go get you. And when they drift, you go get them. And God bless you. And when there's a, when there's a difficult time, when you're going through a difficult time, you got people in your group who minister to you. And maybe you'll get a good relationship with a couple people in your group and they'll become your prayer partners and you can just call them and, and you just got somebody to help you. I don't know about y'all, I need that. I need y'all. Maybe y'all are deeper than me, more spiritual than me. But I'm telling you right now, you're a pastor, I have to have that. I got some pastor buddies. As a matter of fact, there's a couple visiting with us this weekend and they're going to be in the second service and I can share anything with him. I can share any prayer requests with him any time I'm down or don't feel good or, or get discouraged. I can call him. You need that. Number, um, I don't have a number, do I? Uh, gu uh, comfort, guidance and comfort. And y'all know what 2014 was like for me. But I didn't need comfort just in 2014. I needed a lot of comfort in 2014 because I lost my son. I had a stroke. And I needed a lot of comfort. And the Word of God gave me comfort. I went to the Word of God more in 2014. See, there's a bad thing, really. Uh, we ought to stay in the Word of God. But it is a fact that when we go through the deep valleys, we go to the Word of God more, don't we? We go there more. And the Bible says in Romans 15 and 4, it says the Scriptures give us hope. And the Scriptures give us encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise to be fulfilled. You know what that is? That's His promises He's made for us down here, but it's also the promise of heaven, the promise of heaven. And then victory, spiritual victory. And, of course, that's our text. Our sermon text is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, how to win the victory, put on the whole armor of God. So let me talk to you real quick about the, the Bible being an offensive weapon. Because we're talking about Ephesians 6, we're talking about war. So how is, it a, how is it a weapon to me? Well, look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, that doesn't mean, sounds like it says right there you're, you're sinning, but it just means you're human. Though we are human, we walk in the flesh, we live in the flesh, we are human. Uh, I didn't know I'd put that in there. I'm awesome. Um, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not, everybody say not, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now it's talking about spiritual warfare here. It's talking about spiritual warfare as a Christian. Paul is telling us that Christians are very human, but we cannot win spiritual battles by using natural weapons. We must fight with supernatural weapons. And you don't have those in you. They have to be put in you. 
You have to seek those weapons, and they are put in you, they are put on you. God gives you those things. Our sermon text tells us that the Word of God is a spiritual weapon provided by the Holy Spirit. So what is it we're battling in this world? What is it we're fighting against? I'm going to tell you, we could name a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you what we're primarily battling. You think about the news. You think about what's going on in our society today. And let me tell you what we as Christians are primary, primarily battling. We are primarily battling ideas and theories and viewpoints and concepts that are against God. Think about it. I don't do any hand-to-hand combat with anybody about the Bible, but I'm battling theories and beliefs and concepts that are not rooted in the Scripture but are actually anti-God. I'm battling philosophies that have been raised up against the knowledge of God. You know why we gather here every Sunday morning and we sing truth and we preach truth and sometimes we do we will, uh, get the message of truth out there very, very creatively in different ways is because we're battling a world that is saturated with philosophies that are anti God. And we gather here one time a week to hear the word of truth proclaimed that a lot of you guys already know most of the stuff I've preached today, but it keeps it in front of us so we know as we go back out there in the world that we are covered with the armor of God. And we win because we don't depend on ourselves, but we depend on him. So the weapon of God's word is simply the weapon of truth. Truth is the only thing that that displaces error. Truth is the only thing that crushes what is raised up against the true knowledge of God. The only way to bring down lies and deceptions and false ideologies and anti-God concepts is to bring the truth. And the truth is the word of God. Look with me in the Bible at Hebrews 4 and 12, a very powerful verse that is right here. For the word of God speaks, is alive, and full of power. That means the word of God is full of power. The word power here means making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is, the word is powerful. Listen to this. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. Here's what the Word of God does. When you proclaim it, when you live it, when you sing it, when you testify, it exposes, it sifts, it analyzes, It judges the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. There's nothing like the truth. There is nothing like the Word of God. I don't care what anti-God philosophies this world spits out. If you will live the truth and live close to God and proclaim the truth in love, it will be like a tidal wave over those anti-God philosophies, and we win this battle. We win it. The Bible has the power to cut and pierce and dice and slice the human heart, revealing the inmost realities. The sword of truth, the Bible, has the power to cut into the heart, but then it heals that same heart. I remember it, don't you? Do you remember before you were a Christian, the Word of God cut my heart. The Word of God pierced my heart. The Word of God uh, just brought wound to my heart. But then when I surrendered to the Word of God and the God of the Word of God, that same Word of God brought healing to my heart. And I thank God for that. The Word of God restores. The Word of God sanctifies. And then then the Word of God is a defensive weapon. It's a defensive weapon. Next slide, please. It's a defensive weapon. And it's very important for us to know that because um, Jesus is our example in that. And I'm going to give you this and move on because we don't have any time left. Luke 4 and Matthew 4, Jesus had a direct attack from Satan. Jesus was in the wilderness. Jesus was going to spend time with the Father. He was fasting. He was praying. And the Bible says Satan came to him in the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was there. 
And Satan tempted him and, and, and tempted him in three particular ways. And the scripture actually lists those, and I should have included that in my sermon. But the pride of life and, and all of that's mentioned in, an, in another place in scripture. And those three areas are where we're tempted, and they, he tempted Jesus in the same area. Now, here's what Jesus did. Every time Satan came with that temptation, Jesus quoted the Bible. All three times. I mean, how big is that to tell us that the Word of God is not only an offensive weapon, it is an awesome defensive weapon. So when the enemy begins to say things to you, when you begin to get these thoughts in your mind and these messages that are coming into your head and you're going, man, that is so not God, then open your Bible and begin to read it out loud. I tell you, that's what I do. I'll walk through my house. If you come to my house sometimes in the middle of the day, you'll think I'm crazy. Because when I pray, I walk. And sometimes when I feel the enemy just really attacking me, I just get my Bible and open it up, and I just read it out in my house. You might, that's a little edgy for me. Well, get over yourself and do it. And so uh, let me ask you something. How's your plan working? Not that good? Okay. So get your Bible out and start reading the Word of God because here's the deal. You are reading it. You're looking at it. It's getting in you that way. You're hearing it. You're hearing the Word of God. And I'm telling you, man, all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, I was down, I was beat up. I start reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, I'm like, come on, bring it on, Satan. I think I just hurt my back. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm ready to go. Go brave hard on Satan. And so, you got to do it. You go, well, you know, I don't think my family, well, wait, your family's not there. Wait, your family's not there. Wait till they're by yourself. Wait till you're by yourself. I know some of you, you're the only believer in your house. Wait till all of them are gone and you just go in there and go in there where your kids' beds are and pray over their bed. Lay your hands on their bed and pray over the little scoundrels. Pray over their beds. <laughs> and you, if you've got teenagers, pray over them little demon-possessed people. Pray. <laughs> pray. I'm just kidding, sort of. And so pray over them, man. Pray over your house. So it's a, it's a defensive weapon. It's an offensive weapon. If we're going to win the war, we must win with the truth. It doesn't do you any good if you have a Bible and don't use it. Don't know what's in it. The sword of the Scripture is, is to be used, for, used with precision. When the Bible comes at us, if we're ignorant in certain areas, we're going to be defenseless in that area. Satan hates mature Christians. Satan hates well-equipped Christians. Let me tell you, can I just tell you this? And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. He loves Christians that are all about the emotional part. <laughs> but they don't know anything that's in the Bible. He loves them. Because those people do more harm to the body of Christ because they're talking all about the power of God and all that kind of stuff. And then you ask them one Bible question, they can't answer it. Here's what Satan hates. Satan hates mature, well-equipped, biblically literate Christians. That's who he hates. Hey, you can get all, you can get emotional all you want to, but just make sure it's all rooted in the Word of God. I grew up seeing a lot of emotional stuff and very little knowledge of the Bible. Can I just preach out of that a little bit? Who knows what I'm talking about? If you don't know what Scripture teaches, you're vulnerable. It's sad that many people are confused about truth, and the reason they are is simply because they don't have the discipline to spend a few minutes a day reading and studying the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, look at it. It says, study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved. That means tested by trial. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing. That means rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. That is a command of God to anybody who says, I'm a Christian. God goes, okay, you're a Christian, then be eager to get in the word and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. Prove yourself as a workman. There's work involved in this. There are no shortcuts. God says, when you're using my word, I want you to use it correctly. I want you to use it accurately. And what's he talking about? The word of truth, the Bible. So important. How do we do that? Let me give you some things really quick, and then I'm done. Here's a great idea for some of you. Read it. Read it. Read the Word of God. Read the Bible. John Wesley got up every morning at 4 o'clock and spent hours in the Word every day. And I want to just tell you all that story to make you feel bad about your devotional time. 
but it makes me feel bad about mine. I don't even know what 4 o'clock in the morning looks like. What does it look like? Is it just dark? Because I've never been up at that time. But John Wesley was up at 4 o'clock every day. His biographer said, and I read this when I was getting ready for this sermon, his biographer said that John Wesley read the Bible in five languages, and I thought, dear God, I don't even understand it in one language. So I'm with y'all. I'm not with John Wesley. I mean, John Wesley is a superhero uh, man of God. But I'm with you guys. Sometimes I don't feel spiritual. Sometimes I don't feel spiritual at 10 o'clock in the morning, much less 4 o'clock in the morning. But the fact is, I know I need to read his word. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. You say, well, I don't know where to start. Look, Google Bible reading plan. And then pick one. Pick a plan and start reading it. Start reading the Bible. Interpret the Bible correctly, accurately. And the way you do that is you interpret Scripture with Scripture. Again, this is a thing I said earlier. Obtaining an accurate understanding of the Bible is 95% work, perspiration, and 5% inspiration. But it's, a lot of times we're looking for the inspirational part because that's the part we like. But it's work, guys. I wish I could tell you it's not. And there's going to be a day when it's not. But right now, you've got to discipline yourself. The Word of God is a symphony, and the Holy Spirit is the conductor. So you, you, you interpret Scripture with Scripture. We talked about that last week. Meditate on the Bible. Once you've read it, you know you interpreted it correctly, you've prayed over it, and we'll talk about that next week, then just sit back and meditate on it. And let me tell you what I love about meditating. God lets you drink coffee while you do that. Amen? How many coffee drinker Bible readers have I got out there? Glory to God. That's why we give you coffee here, because you need it for these long sermons. You need it. So meditate. You've got to sit back and reflect on what you've read. Reflect on your prayer. Think about what you read. Don't put all your study books aside once you've had your study and just sit there and just think about what you read and say, God, have you got a word for me? Are you going to speak to me something out of that? And maybe he will, maybe he won't. But you give quiet attention to God's truth. And then finally, you've got to give it away. God never gives you anything to keep. God never gives you anything to keep for yourself. Never, never, never. Anything, anything, anything to keep for yourself. God says, anything I do in your life, I want you to go be like that to somebody else. I want you to go share it. I want you to give that word away. Find some people you can share what you've learned with and tell them about it. Final thing. Look at this last slide. Final thing. Pastor, just, just make it simple for me. This whole thing of putting on the armor of God. Okay, here it is. Putting on the whole armor of God is nothing more than knowing and using the Word of God effectively in your daily life. That's it. That's it. You can do anything else I preach, but if you're going to skip the Scriptures, you're going to be weak. You're going to be a weak, vulnerable Christian. Matter of fact, you're probably going to be one of those whiny Christians. And I just run from them, don't you? Let's all stand together.